if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah, the Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We're going to be chatting with Dr. Tracy Kemble a little bit later about the, the narctionary. And it's not about drugs. That's what I thought too. But it's not. It's about narcissism. I'm sure we all know a narcissist. I've been called a narcissist, believe it or not. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a fun chat with Tracy. It's a good one. Dr. Tracy. Dr. Kemble. I don't know. We got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham, out for the season. Dunlop, <laughs> are you out for the season, or is this is temporary? What do you? Oh, you're just talking about my hockey injury. Hockey injury. I well, mean, yeah, I'm a little bit. Are, I mean, people are excited about your the reinvigoration of your hockey career. Yeah, well, I could, dude, we got our asses kicked so bad, and I got home and I had three injuries, like three injuries. Uh, yeah, like my shoulder, my knee, and my Achilles tendon. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what happened. I mean, I'm getting injured. And I don't even know why. So my Achilles tendon was fucked. So then I went out and played again. I tried to play on it and I got, we got our asses kicked again, like just spanked so bad. It's fucking embarrassing. My last and then, and then I fucking got a broken ri- or a cracked rib or something. Like I fucking fell so hard that I, uh, I mean, I was running full speed and I got tripped. So it was like one of those, like through the air, fall on the concrete, knocked the wind out of me. And, uh, yeah, I think I got a bruised rib or something too. So just, it's just, I'm feeling fucking old and beat up, dude. You are old. You should be, uh, you should be playing jogging. tonight. I'm taking the night off. Would you like, well, do you need me to play in your place? You should, we should, you should come out. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'd probably do better than people expect. Oh, yeah, you probably would. Yeah. You're pretty much like stand in front of the net and hammer at the night guy, right? Well, yeah, that's what I like to do on skates, though, because on skates, I, I'm, I'm real sturdy on my skates, so I could, like, hammer people down, cross-check them and stuff. Yeah, ball when it's running. Probably, I feel like there's no in front of the net in ball hockey, but I could probably run like a motherfucker right now. I mean, I walk fucking, I can walk forever with a pack on. Yeah. I yeah, run, sprinting is a little bit different, you know? This is kind of like... You know, I know I can out sprint you. So no way. Maybe not like you're not like in a in a race you'll beat me. But if it's like it's uh, you'll beat me in the fifty yards. I'm saying I'm beating you everything up. Hundred, two hundred, four hundred, and the gap is just getting bigger. No, hundred hundred I could probably do you. N- no. Do you yeah. want it? Yeah. Hundred well, once my Achilles heals and my knee heals, yeah, I'll I'll do hundred yards. Yeah. Do you remember how far 100 yards is? Oh, yeah, dude. I'm sprinting in hockey. It's a, like it's at least a half the rank or whatever, full rank. The ball hockey rink is like 45 yards. So that's like <laughs> back and forth. 
full tilt to the end. You might beat me in a hundred, but I'm, I don't think so. Do I get a head start for like every year older than I am of you? Like, no, a, a yard per eight, per year. So I get like a eleven yard head head start. Why? I mean, I know a bunch of people that are that are your age that could fucking just hammer me in a race, no matter yeah. how far the yardage was. Cameron Haynes, Joe Rogan, these guys. I mean, that's just. I mean, Cameron Haynes. That motherfucker runs forever with them rocks he's carrying, like a crazy asshole. I mean, I just. Uh, I was never that fast, you know. I don't have a lot of breakout speed. Well, I got the breakout, and so you got you got the long distance. Yeah, I never had the long distance. I hated that. I know, and now you're like pudgy. <laughs> so I, I tell you, you faster. We need to get you back to Huscular. <laughs> <laughs> that could be our next operation project is Grambo Huscular. Do you have your like claw shoes and stuff to get out, do that kind of stuff? What's a claw shoe? The shoes you're clawing with, you know, the ones you put on your feet when you want to run real fast in the bush. Oh, oh, yeah, the the yeah, the trail running shoes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was cool. fun. I mean, that was back in the day when I used to run trails and stuff. Yeah, what? Because that's the only time I can go for Why a jog. Back in the day, well, it is that McKinnon Flats Trail right down there. You could go every day and run along the side of the river. Listen to an audiobook every yeah, day. Yeah. It's 20 minutes from the house. Yeah. I mean, you could jog around Chestermere too. I get it. A lot of people don't do that kind of shit. I don't. I won't. Uh, I did get my pedal bike, which I don't mind doing. Gets me out, especially with the kids. Yeah, actually. I, but I, I could totally just go that. for a bike ride. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't feel gay. Yeah. I'm jogging, man. I just can't. I just can't. I see those people jogging and they look gay. So what I, I should do. <laughs> no what if you see me in my, I know that this, with my I'm gonna I put know the rollerblades on hundreds of people that are jogging right now <laughs> while they're listening to the show. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but you look gay. <laughs> <sighs> I think you're a narcissist. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Remember you asked her the question like well, if, if I, how do I know if I'm a narcissist? She's like, well, if you're asking the question, you're probably not a narcissist. So well, that was not you, for me. That was for someone. I know, I know. But I have asked the question before <laughs> because I've been called one, you know, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a, a threshold there. If you're called a narcissist by more than like three people, you might be one. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, so, but I mean, look, here's the thing. Why don't I commit to this? Here, why don't no, I commit wait, to this? Wait, wait, wait. No, wait, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Get the, uh, get a fucking deer tag for your bow. No, dude. They no, I don't want to be shooting stuff. Shooting. Like, what do you want to shoot with your bow? Targets. <sighs> Foam monsters. Foam monsters. Yeah. I just bought uh, Sean a bow yesterday. Really? Yeah. Wow. She's prepared to shoot, not foam monsters. First, we got to get her up to 40 pounds. I think it's 40 pounds for deer in Alberta. I'll have to check. You know, I think you want at least 40. 50 would be better. I'm going down to 50 for my antelope this year, just so it's easier to pull back. I would have got one last year if I would have just 
what do I care if the arrow fucking drops an extra foot, you know? Well, because it's you, you feel like you've got a little bit more flexibility if it's harder, right? Don't you? I mean, a little I, bit more. Well, it's but it's not that much softer from a killing perspective. You don't think? I've just lost range, so I can't take that shot at fucking sixty yards, which which I'm not fucking prepared to do anyway. Anyways, yeah. Mm. You know? Would well, you remember? At least not on an antelope. I mean, mind you, there's a there's a there's a good argument that an antelope would be a better animal to try and take a longer shot on because if you hit it in the gut or the ass, you know, if you hit it any place, it's a pretty small animal. You mean you might have an afternoon chasing it down? I'm not chasing it down, but wait for it to lie down, you know. <laughs> but uh, if you fucking shoot an elk or a moose in the ass, man, you will never see that thing again. Yeah, yeah, There's no chance. Yeah. So do you remember when we first started the podcast? Or this was like back in the early days. I did that hundred days of exercising. I think we talked about it a few months ago. But do you remember when I was doing that? It was when we had the studio studio out here in the first like the first couple of years of the show and i was like either running or doing yoga or qigong or i think what i what my point was is i did all these various things i felt like if i did them all within three weeks i would retain sort of the unique the unique progress from each type of activity mm-hmm. and it was a good way to sort of get a really broad range of like physical activities i was riding my bike and running and doing all kinds of shit. I should maybe just do that. Like maybe what I should do is just go out for a jog then do a rollerblade and then a bike and just do that. Every, every day, go out for one of those. I can't, I'm in terrible shape. Not terrible shape. I'm in much better shape than you, but I'm not jogging or like, dude, I'll I'll jog, but I'll jog though. I have to, even if it's just bare, bare feet on the side of the path and you gotta get some weight off. That's harder. Well, that's how you get the weight off. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I don't have to do that. I feel like I just need to lift weights. But I, 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 I should be doing some more cardio, I guess. Yeah. I feel like I get some cardio right now. Extracurriculars. Anyway, I'm going to think about that. I've been cold plunging. Oh, yeah. Did you? Did we talk about your oh, cold plunging? Well, it's only been a week and a half, but did we talk? No, but did you? Do we talk about how you finished it off on the show? Did we talk about it? I think we did, didn't we? Last Monday was finished, so maybe it hadn't cooled off yet. But it's it cooled off Monday. By Monday night, it was cooled off down to I think not all the way, but it was down to like forty nine or fifty degrees Fahrenheit. But now it's down to 38. Can you please talk Celsius? Uh, I think that'd probably be around four. Five, four? That's Three perfect. Four. Yeah. That's perfect. Wow. So you're doing it every day now with Shauna? Or? Well, not together. No, no, I know. I prefer to do it alone. And I think she sort of prefers the same. So, no, yeah, no, I know. But I mean, what I meant, I didn't mean with, I meant like you do both, both doing do it, it? Yes. regularly. Yeah, I do, I do two minutes. I mean, I don't know where the three minutes came from. Like when I it's was eleven minutes spread over a week is the where the study was at. So I'm doing, I do every day but Friday. So yeah, I don't think three minutes is a thing. I okay because I do two minutes. Then that's 
Yeah, as long as you I was get. I think today I probably could have done another half minute or another minute if I really wanted to, but two minutes is fucking cold, dude. And uh, I mean, it's too much to just. If I'm just like looking over at my phone timer, dude, I'll it'll like I'll look it'll be like six seconds. <laughs> I'll wait again, it's like twelve seconds. Oh, you gotta focus so on the like, breath or something. You gotta have. What something. I do is I get a song. Yeah, and I'll play the song. I'll let it play while I'm getting ready. And then when there's two minutes left, or about two minutes and five seconds, six seconds left, I get in the tub and get in. It's always a song I know very well. So uh, I know when the end of the song's coming. I know the verses. I know the choruses and all that kind of stuff. So I know exactly where I'm at. And I find that makes it go by, like, super fast. With Shauna started doing it first. I mean, I barely even notice it. It's going to be hard in the winter. Yeah. That's good. Get your 11 minutes a weekend and you're laughing. Yeah, I don't know if I notice a difference yet. How long does it take? I don't know. I mean, you should notice a difference immediately getting out of there. You feel refreshed. Well, you and feel energized and, getting out. Your skin's tingling. and Yeah. And cold. So if people want to figure out how to make their own, they should sign up to our newsletter. Or because we've, Darren switched our newsletter from MailChimp to Substack. So you can find like Grimerica Outlawed on Substack and also Grimerica newsletter. Like, how do you find the Grimerica? We should Grimerica.substack.com. Grimerica.substack.com and Grimericaoutlaw.substack.com, where you can get our full other podcast on video, the second half as well in the paid the paid part of the Substack. It's a really good way to support the show, but the newsletter and the Grimerica stuff will be there. So so I guess that's cool because all the newsletters will be there, right? So if they go to that Substack, they'll see you right up with all the pics on how to make your own uh, yeah, cold plunge, an indoor cold plunge. I made a PDF too I sent to Brandon, but I could, uh, we could figure out a way to distribute that if people want to be able to like, Print it out or something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you can know what the kids are doing these days and stuff. But yeah, but um, but yeah, that's a good way to do it. So go to you can sign up, I guess, through the Substack or how often? Like if they sign up through our newsletter, a Grimerica newsletter, does that? When will that that get oh, added shit. to the Substack? We will have to change that link. We have to figure. We'll have to f- change that link. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll probably be for next episode. It probably won't be changed for this episode, but. I'll definitely put well, I mean, it. It'll be good. I mean, you'll just tell Andre to change it to that link. So it'll happen yeah. pretty quick. Okay. If you put it in and it takes you to the old newsletter, just try again in a couple hours or we'll go right to the sub stack. But yeah, get on that newsletter, get in the sub stacks. Yeah. Support the show, man. Oh, oh, the other one, indigenous opinions. That's the other one, right? You want to tell that's them about the other that? Substack. Yeah, that's my Indian sub stack. It's all about Indian stuff. So uh, I'm actually thinking I'm going to start fleshing out another book or two on there. Uh, I've been doing some more land. I've been kind of digging, doing a bunch more research on that kind of stuff. So I might, I've got a couple different ideas for maybe some books down the road, like maybe a collection of creation stories. Cause there's a bunch of, there's a whack of different ones. They all differ a little bit, but we're going to be releasing those on the sub stack. I mean, we're just going to keep pumping them out on the sub stack for now. And then when we have, you know, a couple hundred pages, we'll 
compile them into books. So we got because so right now it's um it's me and I remember a friend of the show Kyle, Kyle DeLille's been sending over some land stuff to help out with the um, the history of the land and uh, the creation story for the Kanawake Mohawks people and all. Ah, fuck, I don't have it in front of me. Hawasine? I can't remember. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting post on the land. Like, the amount of land that they... Like, when people think about all the reservations and how much you got, I mean, when you really look at the percentages and how much you didn't get, right? Yeah, well, technically didn't get any, so... Because it's all vested in the crown. (laughs) But, yeah, it equates to about 0.2% of the land in Canada. So, yeah, I mean, and that's just like... Uh, it can't be 2% even, I don't think. 0.2. Oh, 0.2%. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's not even it's not even Indian land. It's vested in the crown, which means what? They still have their leasing it or something? Or The the definition is basically that, you know, they could just take it back whenever the fuck they want. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's an interesting time. I mean, I was supposed to meet with the president of BMAC this week which is a law firm in Canada. So I've been connected with them by the JCCF because we have mutual mutual interests, I guess, when it comes to this sort of thing. So I'm pretty eager. We might have him on the show. I'm working on that. But yeah, things can get interesting on that front. It really does seem like it's the best avenue for me to fuck with the government. So I'm just going to embrace it. And I'd love to get some land. I'd love to see a negotiation to the end of the Indian Act in my lifetime. Yeah. That just, you know, I don't know how it works. But they don't have to have an, you know, just has to end. We can't just keep staying in limbo. Yeah. So if I could figure it out, you know, play some small role in helping that come to fruition, that's kind of what we'll try and do, I guess. Right on. I'll put links to all three of those show. All, the, all three of those sub stacks in the show notes. Motherfuckers, support the show, guys. I mean, we just had a meeting before the show about how support is down for the show and how we need some more. So, I mean, I know some people take for granted because you have the outlawed show and this and that, that we're just raking in. We're not. We are, uh, you know, we're super grateful for all the support we get. But we're shadow banned all over the place and it's hard to grow and it's hard to this and money's tight for everybody. So, America.ca slash support, guys. If you're still getting some value from a little podcast here, if you ever sign up for monthly, make a one-time donation, sign up for Outlawed. If you can't do any of those things, we understand. Tell some motherfuckers. No genitals at hitting people in the mouth. I think, you know, we should have our own Juneteenth. America Juneteenth is tell your friends about the show. What is Juneteenth? Is that a black thing? Yeah, that's just not, that's not going there. Because June 21st is indigenous solstice. I thought the, the blacks got February. This is a separate thing. Oh. Well, they put Indigenous Day in Indigenous Month and made a gay month, too. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Support the show. Uh, it's important. And if you can support it, share it wherever you can. Tell your friends about it wherever you can because... Yeah, we got another YouTube strike. We don't show up anywhere. You guys are our only marketing. So share us around. Those sub stacks are a great way to do it. Tell your friends, support the show. Other than that, I don't know. What else you got? 
Well, I got a, I got an email sort of synchronicity thing from some friends of ours from, from some trips that we've been on with Randall Carlson. And then I've also got an operation project to continue on from the last two weeks talking about UFO disclosure and all that. Great. I want a good skull from a synchronicity. Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low. Yeah. I'm just pulling up uh, one of our one of our telegram groups here too because it was an amazing reply as well. But so this is this yeah, is um Buddy's Telegram. What? That was Buddy's Telegram. Oh, cool. Yeah. What are the chances Adam Burkhart would be in there? I don't know. He's not even Canadian. <laughs> anyway, so, I'm going to add you to it. Okay, so I got an email. Um, this is from Renee. Uh, some more amazing people that we've met on these trips with Randall Carlson and stuff. So she says, okay, I have a very... So oh, so thanks to Nikki the Dude for telling her to send it in to me. Um, that's about a sort of a synchronistic, precognitive dream experience. Okay, so I have a very weird story, and I think this would be a great place to tell it. I'm inviting your opinions as to what you think this could mean or the, what the broader significance could be. So I had this dream last night. So June 13th, I was sitting at a picnic table out in a field with John Lennon. He was sitting to my left and I was explaining to him how it feels Beatles to have an experience. What? Beatles or commie? What do you mean? Well, the Beatles, John Lennon, or the communist John Lennon? Well, I'm, I'm assuming the Beatles. Okay. He was sitting to my left and I was explaining to him how it feels to have an extreme feeling of happiness and euphoria. Kind of like the feeling you get on your last day of school when you know that you are free and you never have to go back again. I continued to tell him that right now it feels like there is a rectangular clear plastic lid or box with corners that is over us or on top of us. And all of our hopes and dreams get stuck in the four corners of this clear plastic lid. For some reason, the corners of the lid were very significant in this dream. We can see through the lid to where we want to be. We can visualize it, but cannot break through to the other side. We send out hopes and dreams and they just get stuck in the corners. But when the lid gets lifted off, we feel euphoric or free. All of a sudden, I start to make up a song on the spot and I sing. I can't sing at all in real life. The singing felt so good because I was actually able to do it and it felt very freeing. The words of the song were very simple and I can't even remember what they were, but they did rhyme. That was pretty much the end of the dream. I woke up and told my husband about this very strange dream, but, but strange but wonderful dream that I had. I began trying to analyze it and how it pertained to my life. We agreed that it was a pretty cool dream and we got up and went on with our day. So here's the weird part. This morning, June 14th, I was unloading the dishwasher and decided to turn on the TV, which I rarely do. And they were discussing a few political stories. And then all of a sudden they started talking about Paul McCartney releasing a new Beatles song where they used AI to extract John Lennon's voice from the old cassette tape. Paul said, they told AI that this is a voice and this is a guitar. Lose the guitar. So AI focused only on John Lennon's voice. And then they used his voice and mixed it with the remaining Beatles to create a new song. 
When I heard this, my jaw dropped and I was thinking, the rectangular clear plastic lid or box for my dream, could it be the cassette tape? And they freed John Lennon's voice from its confines using AI? Could AI be manipulating our dreams? What's that? I said also Paul is dead, so not possible. I have all the Beatles there. And it was Vladimir Lennon, not John. <laughs> I was wondering what you talking about. <laughs> I thought it was like after he got turned turned by the CIA or something, you know? I, like, <laughs> I couldn't speak up because I, I you know, I just didn't know what you're talking about. So then then she says, you know, could AI be manipulating our dreams or manipulating our reality. Sorry, this was so long, but it freaks me out a bit. What do you guys think? And she posted it in our, one of our telegrams there, but she didn't get much of a response, but I do have a response. That's here. And this is from Dre. Who's Dre? In our, in our telegram, another amazing person that we met on this trip. Wow. You got a real download from the higher consciousness. Very cool dream. The way I understand it, we all upload our experiences to the world, of the world, to the higher consciousness. And sometimes this information is available and understood by others. So all the folks involved in Lennon's AI cassette recording were uploading that information to the universal consciousness. And you were in tune enough with it to understand the download. What's also very cool about this story is that Lennon was particularly interested in communism. No, I'm just kidding. In dreams. Looking deep, he was look, probably a communist too. Look, I mean, <laughs> look deeper into Lenin and his dreams. McCartney says Lenin visits him in his dreams. This is a very beautiful little nook in a fascinating world to look deeply into. Let us know what you find. John Lennon said it best when he said, "A dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality." And then. I got it. I, I was just like, so this is like right after I read hers. I am. Um, According to my assistant, John Lennon was not a communist. <laughs> it's just a chat GPT. I mean, so, I bought the pro version. I mean, I just, it really is really handy when you're writing to just get, so, it's like Googling, but you don't have to like, cause usually every time I Google something, it'll take me a bunch of Google searches, you know, to kind of flesh out exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I was telling you, dude. It's Google's so much good, better. Google's good when I need like longer form stuff and sourced stuff. But if you I need an answer on something, for, I can ask for sources and it'll give me sources, but I prefer the Google experience for that. But just for like quick stuff, like, you know, what year was this? What beer? When did this happen? Fucking, it's, it's fucking, it's tough to beat. Totally. That's what I was trying to explain to you a little John while. John Lennon was known for his activism and political views, but he was not a communist. He was a supporter of left wing causes and was involved in anti war and anti establishment movements. He was also a vocal advocate for peace and social justice. However, he did not identify as a communist and did not align himself with any particular political party or ideology. Thank you for that update. So this is where the these synchronicities get compounded. Who is Graham Dunlop? So I just wait, just wait. Let, let me finish off the synchronicity before you go down all these other rabbits. Don't even put my name into there. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm looking for I'm looking, I see this email come through. I'm scrolling down. It's it's like a uh 
it's an update from like Red Voice Media, you know. I get the whole email with all the shows. Red Ice? I scroll no Red Voice, Jason Burmis, right? Hey, so if you listen to Red Ice, it's fine. Just don't talk about the show. And the last one is the FBI and the two bullets in John Lennon. This John Lennon revelation should be headlines everywhere. So this is like right after I see this thing. So I forwarded it to her and she says, wow, Graham, I watched the reality rant and my mind is even more befuddled. Jason also mentions the Kathy O'Brien story. And I literally ordered her book formation of America from Amazon on June 11th. And I received it yesterday. I do believe that AI could be more advanced than we know. I also think the FBI is somehow involved in all of this. Now I'm starting to sound like a paranoid schizophrenic. (laughs) (laughs) but this shit is deep. So, I mean, crazy, eh? That is a good one. And I can't remember Dre. I do remember Renee. I wasn't there very long, though. Yeah. I didn't have very much time to meet anybody. So, I asked, uh, who is Graham Dunlop? It was like, I need more context. Okay, so don't just stop right there. Like, are you going to rate this synchronistic dream or? Oof. And I did see a cassette 8.2. tape. 8.2. That's pretty good. That and I saw like, a cassette, yeah. cassette a tape come through. Support. What's that? I said grammarica.ca slash support. Right. I saw this. Anything over an eight, you should donate. <laughs> I saw this cassette tape come through on Instagram too. And it's interesting how the, the two round tapes in there like you know those clear ones that they made in the 80s early Mm -hmm. 90s we can see and the four corners are free right the tape is in the middle yeah interesting isn't it something can i do my thing now sure so i said who is graham dunlop oh no i'm sorry i didn't have enough information to provide an accurate answer to your question that's good that's great there may be many people with the name graham dunlop can you please provide me so i said grammarica Ah, Graham Dunlop is one of the hosts of the Graham America podcast, which is a long-form conversational show that covers a wide range of topics, including alternative history, spirituality, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal. Along with his co-host, Darren Grimes, Graham Dunlop interviews guests and explores various topics with a critical and open-minded approach. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> a bit hyperbolic. The Great America podcast has been running since 2013 and has gained a large following among those interested in alternative perspectives. And I said, I'm sorry, but I cannot answer that question as it is personal information and it's not appropriate to speculate or disclose someone's sexual orientation without their consent. What did you ask if I was gay? You're gay. So then I asked if you're sober. He said, I did not have that information about Graham Dunlop's personal life, including his sobriety. It is important important to respect people's privacy, (laughs) not to make assumptions or speculate about their personal lives. Thanks. Do you have a name for your assistant? I should name it Chatbox right now. Thanks, Chatbox. I think that's a good enough name, isn't it? Yeah. I wish it would talk it out. I I can't get it to talk it out to me. And I heard you, I could like, train it to do stuff but uh i don't know uh how to do any of that stuff so or what that means but if you do i uh am like 
playing around with it. So if there's someone out there that's like into it, because I know there's some people that have been able to like kind of hone it to exactly what they're doing, you know, and add their sort of their daily prompts and stuff. Yeah. Or even like almost like spin it. So it knows like my ideologies, not like, you know what I mean? So not, I don't know might not be the right word, but just so it knows your what, context, you know, context I'm coming from when I'm, yeah. and it's kind of specialized maybe for Indian stuff. If that's, you know, like maybe I could have a couple, I could have my little Indian helper and my other one for when I'm doing other stuff, you know, my little hunter helper, probably the same one. The freedom guy that loves no, guns. Better than Indians. <laughs> Anti-government freedom guy that loves guns. That's, you know, we'll probably, we'll just name him Tex. <laughs> All right, guys. You got anything else? You got a bio? Yeah. Well, I want to do the project. I got to do the project operation quickly. You got to? Yeah. Because this is the third week in a row we've been talking about this disclosure thing. So Have we? Yeah. I didn't even think it came up once. I forgot about it. Because it wasn't disclosure. Military, Nobody cares. But we were supposed to bring up the UFO quote of the week. A lot of people care. Well, this is the UFO quote of the week. Mannerkin, artichoke, MK Ultra. Operation Project. So this is kind of stemming from, we, we talked about disclosure on our Grimerica Eldod second half with Charlie and Ricky, and then Matt Errett forwarded me uh, an article that he wrote, because I guess he saw it on Substack, so... And it was like, what do UFOs, Lawrence Rockefeller, and MK Ultra have in more common more than you think? Did you read any of that at all? No, but I was curious of what kind of feedback you got on that last episode. Yeah. Well, I haven't had too much yet, but um, so he gets into like the modern sort of the modern sort of aspect of the the Bigelow funding and with uh, Harry Reid and the you know all this all this new stuff on the UAPs. But then he gets into uh, the part that I'm going to talk about because we were talking about Greer's Disclosure 2.0 last episode and the episode before that on the intro. I think we were talking about the uh, the whistleblower from the the government who came forward on debrief.org, Micah Hanks, Micah Hanks' uh, editor's job there. Mika, 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 Mika Hank. So, so he's getting into this one. He's he's talking about how well Greer is is sort of co- how Greer is compromised. So he talks about the Rockefeller Project, and this is from 1993, the Disclosure Initiative. So this is like a year before I became a uh, a CSETI member back in the 90s. I guess right. MUFON and and CSETI. Um, it was created by none other than none other than financier Lawrence Rockefeller, the fourth son of Standard Oil founder John D. Rockefeller. The initiative had the initiative had a twofold purpose: to unite all the largest UFO research organizations in America under one umbrella, which was promptly accomplished within one year, and massively lobby the Clinton administration to declassify millions of documents, which was done in 1994, revealing little more than mountains of anecdotal testimonies and correspondences. So during the heyday of this UFO disclosure initiative, the Clintons stayed at the Rockefeller Ranch, um, during during which time an early recruit to the disclosure mission was Chief Staff, Chief of Staff, the Clinton Chief of Staff, John Podesta. So Podesta started going public with calls for UFO disclosure in 2002, so going way back. And of course, Greer's disclosure was 2001. 
But um, he's continued to work with figures like Bigelow and To the Stars Academy over the next 18 years. But anyways, these Brad and Sherry Steiger um, noted this enthusiasm in funding both UFO disclosure and psychedelic research by uh, Lawrence. So he also funded the Green Earth Foundation, headed by Terrence McKenna, who traveled the globe collecting psychoactive plants, which he was permitted to cultivate in Hawaii. He theorized that Aboriginal cultures have used these substances to induce a psychic link with ETs. The Human Potential Foundation was primarily funded by Rockefeller, this is Lawrence again, who encouraged its study of alternative religious and psychiatric psychological paradigms. Similarly, he closely uh, cooperated closely with the BSW Foundation, headed by uh, Bootsy Galbraith and Wright Houghton, who shared his belief that ETs are benevolent and have come to help the human species ascend the evolutionary ladder rapidly. So during the Clinton White House years, Lawrence recruited a bodybuilding biologist named Stephen Greer to become the controller of the Disclosure Project, which has provided his meal ticket to this very day. So I don't know. I mean, there's no link here to where, you know, I... I can't, I'm sure I've heard of this before. I don't know where the proof is that Lawrence recruited Greer, but maybe he funded him early on. I'd be interested to, to know more details about this, but he says Greer has given thousands of interviews promoting the narrative that NASA's Apollo lunar projects were stopped in 72 merely because the aliens who have been stationed on the moon for eons didn't want the truth to leak out but were at least kind enough to let us keep the technology they gave us earlier in Roswell in the 50s. If you believe in Greer's narrative, which gets much crazier, I promise, then human creative thought is actually not as special as the shadowy forces controlling the government that wanted you to believe since space technology only exists because we stole stuff from ETs. Pretty much inspired awe in universal creation and the power of the human mind to discover this creation with the effect of making life better through scientific and technological progress would easily be killed from this outlook. From this mindset, the idea of advanced knowledge or tech progress just becomes another kind of secret knowledge for some Gnostic-styled cult with a select few endowed with the powers of secret knowledge. So the questions an intelligent person should ask now are, and this is back from September 2022, by the way, why would a leading figure of Rockefeller dynasty devote the last decades of his life to the, to the cause of UFO truth? Did he or those on his payroll or those in the CIA actually care about the right of the people to know hidden truths? Or is the plan just designed to misdirect the minds of credulous and jaded citizens into an invisible cage? Might such a misdirection prevent people from dealing with issues of America's lurch to fascism and accelerating disintegration? Is it possible that these pedophiles, globalists, and Malthusian billionaires care less about the truth and more about inducing Americans to fixate on aliens while the republic is destroyed under economic collapse and war? What do you think? Bingo, bingo. Sounds... Uh... You think it's a distraction? I mean, what do you think? Oh, yeah, man. I think so. I mean, like, it seems like there's a couple governments in full collapse right now. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, it just came out today that they're in the RCMP has been investigating our prime minister for a couple of years and like 80 pages of the 90 page report have to be redacted when they're issued for public consumption, which makes me think there's some stuff in there. Well, maybe not. 
I mean, they do, do just seem to keep getting away with everything all the time. But it seems like, I mean, even the No Agenda guys were talking about in the newsletter, at least, that it's like there's a a real chance that Biden is going to have to resign over this shit, or at least not be able to run and keep running, you know, like run again. Yeah. So I don't know. And it seems like nobody likes Trudeau anymore, but who knows? I mean, I'm nobody, I didn't think anyone liked him for the last few years. So, yeah. And the timing is suspect. Like you said, there's these things going on with the, with the leaders of the free world. And then the, the UFOs are, you know, ET is just becoming accepted. There's whistleblowers left, right and center. And people are talking about it in the news. All of a sudden these cases are being taken seriously. What are they setting weird us up out for? There. Yeah. It's getting weird out there. All right. Now give me a bio. So yeah, Dr. Tracy, she's been, uh, she's been taught in five countries around the world or her program reclaiming me has been taught in five countries around the world. She's went from the victim to the healer for the past 25 years within the domestic USA from West coast to East coast. There are currently two online live workshops a week where women from all walks of life attend to heal. She's an award-winning entrepreneur the founder of the International Feminine Boss Society and Academy, an online and in-person learning center where she and her team teach women entrepreneurs how to become the boss of their, their be and business with feminine energy. And she's also the author of a whole bunch of books on narcissistic. Let me just go to the bookshop quickly and check. It's drtracy.tv. And she's written uh, Discover the Divine, Reclaiming Me, Reclaiming, um, actually, that's that's the wrong one here. Yeah, Reclaiming Me and uh, the Narctionary there. Narctionary, Empowerment is Sexy, the, the Courage to Say No More, and the Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary. So there you have it. All right, guys, enjoy the chat. Dr. Tracy Campbell. Dr. Tracy Campbell, welcome to Gray America. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Doing pretty good. We're glad the summer's here finally. It's been a long winter, so we're enjoying the enjoying the sunshine a little bit. I love it. Where are you guys located? We are near Calgary in Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we you had guys- a bit of a long winter, yeah. Mm, you did. Yeah. And where are you again? California. All right. How's it going there? 
You're good. We don't have long winters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was seriously considering now, like a lot of people from Alberta snowbird down to Arizona or California for, you know, six months. That's, that's definitely got to be on my manifestation plan, you know? Oh, I'm all about that. Yeah. So we've been looking forward to this chat. I mean, uh, I've been in, in a challenging, you know, a couple challenging relationships, uh, you know, there's work and personal stuff and, and you've got this, this book out that we want to get into for sure. Narctionary. I guess that's how you would pronounce it, right? Yep. That's perfect. Yeah. But I mean, I think we should start a little bit with some, some of your background, maybe your experience with how, how kind of you got into the writing the book and your experiences with maybe narcissistic abuse, that type of thing. We've touched on it on the show a, a couple times. And we and I, and I've got some questions from from a sort of a bigger perspective too because we had a, a guest on another show that uh, was talking about um, cluster B personalities and stuff like that. But we can get into that later okay. a little bit. Okay, okay, yeah, just some light conversation for today. Yeah, huh? yeah, exactly. <laughs> just yeah, before we jump right into the the depth of all this. So, so maybe. Uh, yeah. Also, I want to uh, I want to hear about uh, your da- like your inspirational downloads and stuff like that as well. But but you went through you went through sort of having to get out of a narcissistic relationship, and that must have been the genesis for this whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been in the in the transformation world and uh, for over thirty years, and uh, I think the I always say that I'm always I've always been the first specimen in my own petri dish trying to figure out how to make existence with myself more comfortable healthier safer and uh, I think that you know a lot of people ask me how exactly did you get into the world of narcissism and to be quite honest that uh, narcissism is something that I've been exposed to since my childhood I was raised in a family environment where there was narcissism and so for me the the characteristics of narcissism were normalized. And I thought that, oh, well, this is how every person behaves, every family unit behaves. And so what happened to me personally is as it was my baseline, that temperament was my baseline, as I proceeded forward in, into adulthood, in order for me to recognize that there was something really, really wrong, uh, things had to reach um, extreme levels of pain. And I, I always say that, you know, I remember for, for years of my life, because I had this debilitation inside or this not lack of understanding of what healthy love and relationship looked like, that I, I went through life for many years as though my hand were on the word picture that I can give you is that my hand was on an electric grill top and people would see the things that I would tolerate. They'd be like, Oh my gosh, isn't that, doesn't that hurt? And I would be like, yeah. And they'd say, don't you want to remove it? And my response was, can I? So I got myself into these extreme levels of pain because to me, I was just doing normal. And so healing required me to go in and redefine what normal is. Hmm. Do you find it uh, it getting worse out there right now with narcissistic personalities? Yeah. With social media, like, is this going to be a problem that we have to deal with? It's going to be a lot harder to deal with in the future. 
I think it is. I, I'm very curious to see. Narcissism is not new. I mean, it's been around for hundreds uh, of, of years, if not thousands of years. It's, it's part of human nature, let's see, let's say. Um, and all of us, we need what's called healthy narcissism. So let me just give you some narcissists, um, narcissist, narcissism 101. Okay. So narcissism, um, what we're talking about is a personality characteristic. Okay. It's somebody who acts and behaves in certain ways that would deem them narcissistic. The thing about narcissism is that it is a spectrum disorder, which means it goes from here to here. Okay. The, the difficult thing about that is that each and every one of us needs healthy narcissism and healthy narcissism is that which we have right here in front of us. And healthy narcissism allows us to keep the good in and push the bad out. Hey, no, not today, not on my life, right? That's healthy narcissism. As narcissism goes on up the scale, it then merges into something that's called narcissistic characteristics. And these are very difficult people. They just exhaust you um, by their, their, their means and their ways. As it continues to go on up the scale, it then merges into narcissistic personality disorder. And this is part of the, the cluster B personality disorder that you had mentioned earlier. And these are very problematic people. As it continues to merge on at the scale, it then goes into antisocial personality disorder, which is sociopath and psychopath. And these are just dangerous people that we want to stay away from. Now, what's come new in the recovery journey is at the opposite end of the spectrum over here is a condition that is called self-love deficiency disorder. And it is the polar opposite, and that's why you see these personalities attract because they're on they're the polar opposites of each other. So do I think it's going to get worse? I'm very curious to see that uh, what's going to happen with this generation that it feels invisible um, unless they see themselves on on social media or a reflection of themselves. It'll be really curious to see how much grow um, into maintaining that human interaction instead of that praise interaction. Yeah. So would, would borderline personality disorder fit sort of in that category as well and under the cluster B, I guess? And is, is it is it kind of similar? Like how is it sometimes hard to tell between between the two, if you're well, dealing with like, if you're in a sort of an abusive relationship and you know, you're trying to find your way through it or out of it. Like, yeah, well, they, it? they, you know, if you're dealing with a cluster B, if you're dealing with a histrionic, if you're dealing with a, a narcissistic personality disorder or the, the variety of personality disorders that are out there. And what that means is that a personality disorder is when a person's core personality responds to and engages with these certain characteristics. So uh, whenever you are with anybody that's in the cluster B, which is like all of the above that we had just talked about, plus a few more, that the, the, the bottom line is what you'll feel is just crazy in a relationship, that there are consistently inconsistent days, that there's drama, there's um, there's chaos. There's a lack of clarity. 
there's frustration. I mean, it's it, when you're dealing with somebody with a personality disorder, it's just it's just like being in a cage that's constantly being rattled. It, that you 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 cannot find that that sense of calm and peace. I I found that I had this faint hope clause that that things would get to better, right? That you know, I always thought, okay, well, it'll get better. It'll get to the point where it was when it was really good. But then I kept realizing, like, okay, well, it's not it's not going to get any better. Yeah, um, well, you know, I don't know about your the relationship that we're in. You can run it by me if you want. But one of the 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 narcissism, we're just strictly talking about narcissism. And I, I want to just clarify something that you said earlier is that there's, um, you know, different, something that's called a dual diagnosis. And, and it means that this person is suffering from more than one ailment. Let's say it's like having a cold and, um, and the stomach flu at the same time. It's like, we've got to treat two things here. So that's kind of what what you're talking about in very broad strokes when it comes to a dual diagnosis. So one of the things that can be really confusing about any any of the cluster Bs is, for example, somebody who has uh, narcissistic characteristics or narcissist NPD, their temperament can make them go from zero to 100. Right. And they can get upset and then they can pout and get depressed. And there's the covert narcissist that they are the perpetual victims and they will break down into hysterical um, victimhood, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, if you're talking to somebody that has bipolar, bipolar is also that personality that can go high and low and high yeah. and low. So it can be really confusing. Uh, it's a confusing world in, in general, but it can be doubly confusing when you don't know what you're dealing with. I think in, in hindsight that there was a lot of people, you know, because just like fashion, I think psychology can also have trends. And a few years back, everybody was bipolar, you know, oh, they're bipolar, oh, they're bipolar, oh, they're bipolar. And, you know, were they really bipolar? Because, you know, that these things are have very specific diagnoses to them, or could you possibly have been dealing with a narcissist who was just having an adult temper tantrum? So it's it's important to get in there and and really understand who and what you're dealing with. But I want to touch really quickly on something that you just said: is you kept getting trying to get back to good in the narcissistic cycle. All narcissistic relationships begin what's called, uh, there's three stages in the narcissistic cycle. I call it the dream girl and dream boy phase, which is the honeymoon phase. And this is when the person just love bombs you and um, makes you feel like a million dollars and they pedestalize you, which means they put you up on a pedestal. And this stage can last about um, up to two years. And then what happens is that after two years, because of the temperament of the narcissist, they they're constant. They they become like children. Uh, I was describing yesterday that they it's you know when if do you have do you have kids by chance? Darren yeah. does. I don't. Okay, so well you would recognize this. Um, so with with a uh, um a kid, okay, if you have nephews or even us as we think back when we had. 
um, when we were children, we would get this toy, right? We'd be like, wow, this toy is so cool. I really like this toy. And then like an hour later, we're bored with it, right? Well, the narcissist is kind of the same way when it comes to people is that they, after about two years, they're, because they're constantly looking for, for fuel, that what happens is that suddenly they just get bored. It's like everything that you were doing for that person to make them love you and appreciate you, they're just like, okay, that just doesn't excite me. And so what they do is they they go to new levels to get fuel and it goes from the dream girl, dream boy phase. And then it phases into the, the degradation phase. And once it heads into the degradation phase, there's really no going back. You might get them back for just a moment, but because that phase has ran its course, um, it, it's, um, it, it's not to, it's never going to come back. I found that uh, it, it took me to sort of threaten to leave um, before uh, any kind of apology would, would happen or any, any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of change in that degradation phase would, would, would happen. I mean, I'm just sort of assuming that this is what it was. I don't have an official, you know, there wasn't an official diagnosis or anything like that. But, but it, it felt like uh, I'd have to take extreme measures to get any kind of like um, sort of accountability or acceptance or ownership. Um, which, which I would then hope, then I would sort of get that faint hope that it would get back to the dream girl phase, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dream what's, girl, dream boy phase. What's, what's the, what's the percentage of, uh, like, is there hope for people? Cause I know that some people have recognized like the ruining relationships or their, 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 their life is kind of like, even though they're smart and charismatic, their life is sort of spiraling downwards and they they do recognize that there's something wrong and they get help is there like what would you say the percentages of people that that actually have some self-acknowledgement and can get help for this depends on where that person is on the spectrum so the the closer to norm you know here here's the thing and i was sharing this just the other day there's a difference between being a jerk or just having a jerk day versus having narcissistic uh, characteristics or narcissistic personality disorder. We all have less than shining days that we accidentally hurt the ones we love. But these days are few and far between. And, you know, every couple should probably, I always say, you know, we, we should have you know, three to four jerk cards a year. And that's when we just are like, oh man, I, can I just redeem my jerk card? No explanation needed. I get it. You know, I apologize. And we're on and we're not, we're not uh, harming the person again and again and again in the same ways. If you have somebody who repeatedly harms you in the same way, it's who they are. It's in their personality. It's it's how they believe they're supposed to behave. Now, depending on how deep the person is into their narcissism, let's how say like, far, let's say like halfway, like not fully over, but you know enough to destroy relationships. Yeah, there, I mean, there's no percentage, but I, I can tell you this is that um, anybody who is dealing with narcissism as a reference base, they never fix things because they have the empathy to say, Oh my God, I'm hurting the person I love. 
I can't believe I hurt the person I love. What they say is, ooh, I'm about to lose something, so I need to do something to keep my life the way I want my life. It's a very self-centered way. The, the, the biggest challenge in dealing with narcissism and people seeking recovery is that, you know, it's like alcoholism, that the alcoholic has to look at their life and go like, I'm destroying my life. I need help. This thing is bigger than me. And so they reach out for help. But because a narcissist has such um, a high, an external high regard for themselves, an external high regard, and I say that very intentionally, that it has, it, 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 it's difficult for them to come to that revelation that they need help. Their, their first resort is everybody else around them needs help. So what do you do when you're stuck in a, in, in the stage two or stage what's, what's stage three? The discard. Discard. Okay. The discard is when the narcissist um, and the, the narcissist within a relationship to keep control will do what I call mini discards where they'll break up well, or they'll withdraw and just pull away. And, uh, but the discard is officially defined as well, the way I define it is it's when the narcissist all of a sudden will just put you out like trash and move on with their life. What if you don't want to wait for the discard? Huh? Is there a, is there a, a, a preferred exit route? Depends on the, the personality of the narcissist that you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with somebody who has the propensity for insanity or, or danger, you need to, uh, you know, they say that the best, the best result is to go no contact. And that looks like the discard, uh, but it's, it's from the victim to the target's point of view, it's stepping out of the chaos. And they, you know, if you can just go no contact, um, that, that will be the, the best for, uh, for the victim. But normally that will set the, the narcissist on fire and the dramatics and theatrics will come out and then you could easily get swooped back in if you don't understand. Okay, they're going to come back, and they're going to come back with the love bomb. And if and normally the love bombing will last around ninety days, and then after ninety days, if they don't get things the way that they want, um, they will maybe start a character assassination campaign or different things like that. So what about? I mean, obviously, if if the preferred thing is like no contact, what if you're working with somebody and you have to deal with them? You know, like you've you've kind of like left the main so you you don't have a direct relationship anymore but you have to deal with them now and then or whatever is there a, a way to, to yeah. pull around stuff or like kind of just not really get engaged i mean i feel like non-engagement a lot of times they i feel like i would get sucked into engaging you know whether well, it's exactly. like massive text like a text yeah. campaign or like i'd get a call like you know 20 calls on the phone when i'm trying to just get away and like yeah I'd, yeah so it's, it, it, yes, there, there is something that you can do. And I, I run a, reco a recovery program and it's called the Reclaiming Me program. And it's actually a one-year recovery program because, you know, we get very tangled into this thing. And um, so I teach different techniques all throughout from, you know, the first phases where the module is six modules and the first module is called, what is this? And I help really educate people as to what is, what this, what is this monster that they're dealing with? Phase two is called, what happened to me? And 
um, in this particular module of healing, I've identified the 13 most common, I call them shenanigans, but you can call them abuses of the narcissist, what that does to you psychologically, mentally, physically, emotionally, and how to repair yourself coming out of it. The third phase is called love and the narcissist. And that's when we do a lot of the inside work. Like why was the narcissist attracted to me? And why was I attracted to the narcissist? And why, when all the warning signs said, no, don't go, do I run back as fast as I can? Or why do I stay? And, and you know, what are these spiritual bonds that we need We need to cut? Um, the fourth uh, class in, in the program, the fourth module in the program is called Healing um, Narcissistic Abuse Trauma. And there's a very specific trauma wound that comes out of a narcissistic relationship. And it's something called CPTSD. It's not PTSD, it's CPTSD. And there's a different road of recovery that takes place with that. And then um, the module after that, is called when no contact is not an option. <laughs> and this is about what do we do with those people? If if the industry says, oh, the best thing to do is just go no contact, but that's not reality for a lot of people. It wasn't reality for me. And so this the focus of, of this particular module is all about what happens when no contact is not an option. So let me just dive into that. So no contact is, is a technique for the, the, the target or the victim of narcissistic abuse. And what it basically means is you have no contact with the narcissist. Now, why is that important? That's important because words and attention are the fuel of the narcissist. And all they want when they feel that they're losing you is to try to get you to engage with them. Engagement is your, it's your, it's your poison pen. It is, it is your, <laughs> it's your toxic Kool-Aid. You have to learn the discipline of not engaging with the narcissist because that's what they want you to do. And they will poke and poke and poke and prod and email and text and love bomb and do whatever it takes to try to get you to engage because when you engage, they're getting fuel. So as somebody who is working on healing from this, your goal is to make the commitment to yourself. I'm not going to be a fuel source to another person. When a normal person or an empath falls in love in a relationship, we fall in love for love. When a narcissist falls in love, they fall in love for, for fuel. And so when we go to break that off, it makes them feel crazy. And especially if we've been their primary fuel source that they don't want us to leave and they will say and do whatever it takes to get either good or negative fuel from us. So one of the techniques that I teach um, when no contact is not an option, um, I did not come up with it. It's common in the industry and it's called gray rocking. And what gray rocking is, is basically mean that you get a personality of a gray rock when you are with this person. And, and, you know, how are you? Fine. Well, what's new at your house? Everyone's good. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, everyone's good. And my, my father-in-law, God rest his soul, he was an attorney and he had this saying all the time, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And it's really important that when you're in your recovery from narcissism and they come knocking and they're looking for fuel, that you you commit to the gray rocking and they will come at you for all the different angles just to try to get fuel. And you just you just have a personality of a gray walk. It's it's one word answers. 
when they ask you advice, you could say, I'm sure you'll, you're, you're smart. You'll figure it out. You just leave no avenue for that person to hook their, their fuel hose up to you and start to suck the life out of you. And it's one thing if they're saying, Oh, you know, you're not, uh, you're not helping me. You're not engaging. That's, I mean, it's a little easier to handle then than coming back after you've engaged. You know? I just don't recommend yeah. engaging because yeah. here's the thing is that we are also very vulnerable and you know, I think one of the hardest lessons to to learn is that this person is doing it specifically to extract fuel. They don't care what I'm thinking. They don't care what I'm feeling. All they care about is getting their fuel. And I, you know, it's important to remind yourself of that. You know, one of the my big aha moments that I had uh, in in my personal recovery is I spent years crying and begging and screaming and, you know, doing all these things for, for things to change. And then one day I saw something and it was a reenactment of, of the narcissist. And, you know, in a normal situation, if you hurt me, and I'm not a big crier, especially now since I'm more in my recovery, if you hurt me and, and I cry or if I hurt you and you cry, Empathy would kick in and we'd say, oh, my God, I'm, I've hurt the person I love. I've hurt this person. Stop. Back up. You know, stop. And we have all those, those healthy bells and whistles that go off. Well, when a narcissist sees um, a target break down and cry, it's a drug for them. <sighs> look how powerful I am. Whew, look how powerful I am. I can make them cry. I can break them in a heartbeat. And when you understand this, you, it's easy to hold on to the gray rock. It's easy to be like, mm -mm, not today, <laughs> not today. That train, that train has left the station. Is there a percentage uh, between men and women? Like, is there more men that are narcissistic or women? Do you know if, how that breaks down? Well, I think that, you know, superficially that you would think that more men are narcissists, but I, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that. I I think that um, it hits 50-50. And I think quite honestly that women um, are there. It, it's well, research shows that having a narcissistic mother, for example, um, is more devastating than having a narcissistic father. And it's because so much compassion um, is found in the female archetype, let's say. And you just, by culture, we don't expect women to be, to be that way. And um, it, it can be, it can be really, really brutal and, and just as, as devastating. And, and I think that the real difficult thing about it is that, you know, there are different types of narcissism and it's really easy to to spot the grandiose narcissist. Oh, here I am. And I'm so beautiful and look at me and doing everything to get the attention on me and all the conversations lead back to me, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a, is one form of narcissism that's called a covert narcissist. And many women could tend to lean into covert narcissism versus uh, a grandiose narcissist. 
And that's uh, when you see that they're the professional victim, that they're the type that they can dish it out, dish it out, dish it out, dish it out. And the second that you, you'd say or do something, you know, have reactive anger or something of that nature, they're like, oh, how dare you hurt me? And then they, they fall apart. And, and it's like they're just they're they're literally the wolf in sheep clothing. Can you, is this, is this victim culture that we're in right now? Can that lead to narcissism? Like, can you become a narcissist by training yourself to be a victim? Um, well, I, I think that we are in such a victim mentality and being a professional victim is, is, um, we, oof, I think we have kind a of trending. It's kind of trending oh, right now. Man, it's it's so exhausting to me, and it is very narcissistic, you know, to to say that the world owes me and, um, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me. And the only person at the end of the day that gets hurt from that are those who try to feel constantly try to fill the glass that has holes in it. Because as soon as you give that person everything that they want they're going, there's, there's, there's holes in the glass and it's going to deplete out. So it's a never ending effort to fill that person, you know, enoughness rests inside of us and it, nobody is obligated to us in any which way in life. And when we just embrace that, we get all of our power back. Question from Adam in the chats. I do a lot of abusers, domestic abusers have narc traits. I have found uh, that so my whole journey in, um, in the world of recovery began just with abuse recovery um, because I found myself in a highly abusive relationship. But, you know, 30 years into this, I believe that every, every person who abuses um, has narcissism in them because you cannot harm another person and be okay with it ever. And, you know, and to have a faux apology and a faux apology is when somebody um, actively abuses you and then comes back and makes all these false promises, but then only in a matter of time, the abuse, the same type of abuse is happening again. That's a faux apology. And a faux apology is a characteristic of a narcissist. Wow, that's interesting. You mentioned there was differences between those. I'm guessing it's like what bipolar, BPD, narcissistic. What are the other ones, and what are the differences? The key differences between each of them. Oh gosh, I, um, well there there are several different. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> there are several different personality disorders. I mean, to go into all of them, that's a show within it. You know. Um, histrionic is is somebody who is very flamboyant in the way that they speak. Um, somebody with anxiety disorders or the depressive disorders or the cluster Bs, which um, the the borderline personality disorders. I mean, these are that's a big subject that we should probably take on in, in another uh, in another conversation and break them all down because there's similarities in all of them. There's there's that that bleed line that crosses over. What about uh, what about the just to just to pick one the anxiety because it seems like a lot of young kids right now have this anxiety and and I I don't think I've ever really heard much about anxiety disorder but they've got anxiety I mean a lot of kids the early twenties yeah, kind of late you know, teens it seems like everybody's got anxiety is that 
is that does that will that form into a disorder if if it's not dealt with or is that just is that a new a new up and coming kind of trend? No, it, it's not new. You know, when I when I was young, because I was in this chronic unstable environment, that I had what I call in my recovery program um, narcissistic induced depression. Um, it based in situational depression, but I call it narcissistic abuse depression. And I also suffer from really, really bad anxiety. And uh, I wrote a book called Breaking Up with Anxiety because along my my healing journey, what I realized is is that anxiety is a warning sign that something you value is in danger. And so this is why we get we get anxious. It could be our spirituality, our sexuality, our money, our physical safety, the people we love, our job. I mean, whatever comes into that threat line of, of possible harm. That's, that will cause us to have anxiety. When the anxiety begins to take over and you, you don't have the ability to stay in the here and now. And the only place that we can conquer our problems is in the here and the now, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, there is, anxiety disorder is very real. And I think that because so many people feel out of control of their life and, and they don't have that, that sense of, of confidence that everything in life is okay, that um, we can, they can slip into anxiety disorders. Yeah. Darren, do you have any other questions at all? Well, not along, not along, not along that line, I guess. I mean, I just find like, uh, I don't know the difference between any of them, you know, I've heard all the sort of buzzwords over the years and, and I couldn't tell you the difference between any of them, you know, all the, all the definitions seem to just seem the exact same. There, again, there's those bleed lines. Um, each one has a very specific, um, very specific characteristics that it's like your kids, you know, your kids have all the same bloodline going through them, but all, you know, you're all within the same family unit, but they all have their own unique things that separate them. That's kind of what, what that would be classified in as, but the most important thing is, you know, when we're in a relationship, a relationship, we are not supposed to be crying in a relationship. If you find yourself crying, if you find yourself um, you know, I, I, it's called the narcissistic fog and it stands for fear, obligation, and guilt. And if we are in a relationship, when we are feeling fear, obligation, and guilt, that is not a relationship that, that those are all warning signs that you're in a toxic relationship. Yeah. Can we talk about your book a little bit? Some of the, the main sort of definitions you've got, like you made you know, like an encyclopedia type thing or a dictionary out of <laughs> out of this. All right. So let me tell you about my book. So my book is called Narctionary, and I'll tell you how, how it came about. This book, um, this is like my fifth book that I've written, and this book spilled off my pen so quickly, and I'll tell you why. So it was it was around nine months ago, and a girlfriend of mine who she was definitely married to, a narcissist, that she called me one day and she she was just on the floor. He had a lot of money and and um, and all of a sudden, just one day, it was the discard, and boom, 
he was out and gone and finished with her and she was on the floor and she called me and she's like, I, I can't even explain what's happening to me or why it's happening. And I know that you specialize in this and blah, blah, blah. So she starts to tell me, you know, and you know, everything was fine until it's not. And I said, yeah, well, you just experienced the discard. What's the discard? The discard is when the narcissist is done with you and they're putting you out like trash. She's like, oh my God, that's what happened. And she said, and it's just so confusing because, um, you know, whenever we would try to, to talk, it's like nothing would ever, and I finished her word, nothing would ever get resolved. And she's like, yeah, exactly. And I said, no, because a narcissist can't have resolve within a relationship because if there's resolve, there's peace. And if there's peace, there's no fuel. So they can never have peace and harmony within their relationship because, um, because then they're, they're not getting the, they're not getting the fuel. And the reason that they're in the relationship with you is to get fuel. And she says, Oh my gosh. And, and she says, and you know, and every time I would talk, I would just end up so, so confused. And, and I said, yeah, well, that's because you got word salad. In. And she says, what's a word salad. And I said, a word salad is a technique that the narcissist uses where when you're talking, they throw so many words on there just to confuse you and turn things upside down so that they're never held accountable for what actually happened. And she says to me, Oh my gosh, you see, I wish that you could take all these words that you're saying and, you know, put them in a book. So we newbies could grab a hold of it and really understand what we're up against. And I literally thought about it. And I went and I picked up my phone and I went to a file that I had on there when I was in my recovery, where I felt the same thing. It was that there were so many there's a whole vocabulary associated in the world of narcissism. And I, I just alphabetize them. I categorize them as an, a word of abuse, um, a trauma word or a recovery word. And then I even put a self-assessment test in the back of the book. So you can kind of see where you are in the depth of the, the abuse that you've went through, where you are in the depths of your trauma recovery and where you are in, um, in, in the position of your healing. Yeah. It must help you sort of figure out, Oh, okay. And now I, you know, I, it's not, I'm not just going crazy. This is a thing and I'm stuck in it or whatever. Yeah. You know, I have lots of mantras in my recovery program. My recovery program is, is called reclaiming me. And uh, one of my mantras that I have is when it comes to recovery is this crazy people don't know they're going crazy. So if you feel crazy, it means there's something crazy in your life that needs to be fixed. Trust that reality. And because what happens is so many times we, we get drawn into the chaos and we're like, God, I'm feeling crazy. And then because of a technique called gaslighting, which they're trying to make us feel crazy so that they can keep control and get fuel off of us that we begin to think we're crazy, but crazy people don't know they're crazy. We have another question from the chats. Shout out to catastrophic new England. What if you can't tell what side you're on? Are you Which asking? I'm assuming means what if you can't tell if you're the narcissist or the, uh, what was the other one called? The punching bag? The, the empath. The empath. <laughs> the wounded Are empath. Are the only two combinations? Are we all a little bit on that? Is that like a, is that like a spectrum, like a yin and a yang, where, where everyone's got a little bit of that in them and that's playing on some attraction on all levels or is it just only in sick relationships? Well, so so remember that we all have narcissism in us, right? Healthy narcissism. And we can all act inappropriate and we can all act a bit 
unempathetic on occasion and selfish and things of that nature. This is just called human human nature and, and our need to grow. That being said, um, there are two types of relationships uh, or dynamics within a relationship that makes a narcissistic relationship stand. It's a narcissist plus a narcissist. And this is when they're they're both fueling off each other and the attention that that, you know, because a narcissist doesn't see another person as an individual. They see that person as an extension of themselves. And so if if you're a narcissistic parent and your child does well, you're going to be like, look at look at what I created. Right. Um, At the same time, if. If an, if you do something to disappoint the narcissist, they see it as as complete betrayal, as though you have done something to harm them personally, and that's why they they get so explosive when certain things happen because they take it as a personal insult. So the first one is the narcissist plus the narcissist. The second one is a narcissist with a self deprecate, and it's these two that stay together probably the longest um, because they are the, the opposite sides of, 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 of a single coin. And that coin is trauma. They both come from a trauma background. Only this one is manifesting it in, in one way. And this one is manifesting it in, in another way. One of the, the, the things that I, I know for sure is that if you were raised around a narcissist that you can learn to be a really good narcissist because we've we've been trained by the best. If, however, you're even asking the question, I was just thinking that, am I narcissistic? The answer is if you're able to ask yourself that question, no, you're not. It means the pendulum is swinging. And as long as you stay on your recovery, that you will get back to your sense of healthy, normal. Great answer. I I heard you. Is there any other, um, cool parts of the book. I heard you talking um, to somebody on one of the podcasts about when somebody comes in, when the narcissist comes in the room and they're acting in a certain way and you would call them out on like the type of, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was now. Was it Mr. Brecky? Yes. So the words in the book, um, some of them are, are professional words that you hear in the industry. Some are, you know, have been put there by the, the many great influencers that are doing great work. Some we don't know where they came from. And some I gave my own my own name to. And let me just give a, a, a quick background of that. My mother, when I was young, she gave me this great this great tool that I've used throughout my whole life. And she said, you know, Tracy, when we have a pain, and that pain doesn't have a name. It's like fighting a ghost and that we can't grab a hold of it and pull it in and love it and mend it and, and heal it. Or if it doesn't best serve us, remove it from our life. But when it has a name, we can grab a hold of it and we can bring it close. We can look at it and ex- examine it and study it and mend it or put it out of our life if it doesn't best serve us. So when I was young and um, I'm a big dreamer and that's why I'm an entrepreneur. I learned at a very young age in business to give my dreams a name. Like immediately I'd be like, oh, that's project so-and-so and this is project so-and-so. And it was like a baby, my baby's birth and I have a name. Well, I never did that in, in recovery, which kept me in the dark for so long. So when I rem- was reminded of this amazing tool, I suddenly started giving all narcissistic behavior names. A lot of it 
backed into professional verbiage that's already in the industry and, and there. But on the ones that didn't, uh, I would give it a name. And so Mr. and Mrs. Breathy is one of the names that I gave to a narcissistic characteristic and, and narcissistic abuse. And, and what it is, is um, some narcissists can be very passive aggressive. And they they like to do lots of silent punishments that make you feel crazy. And so one that uh, I had experienced a lot was uh, I called it Mr. Breathy. And what would happen is it's that person that when they walk in the room, you're like, hey, like, hi. And in the past, I would be like, oh, no, I've done something. Something went wrong somewhere. This person's mad. How far is this going to go? Where does this go? How do I make them happy? And I would go into this entire survival to try to avoid a pending blast from the narcissist, right? But when I suddenly gave it a name and I'm like, oh, Mr. Breathy's here. And so now if I were to encounter it, hi, how are you? Fine. I would respond by saying, why is Mr. Breathy here? It's not. Well, why are you talking all breathy then? Because Mr. Breathy means that you're mad about something. So why don't you just tell me what you're mad about and use your words and we can talk about it. So it just, Mr. and Mrs. Breathy um, are when these people, and, and the thing is, is it's really important to to call people out on uh, on the fact that you're aware. Yeah. It's really important to let the narcissist know that you are aware of their behaviors. You don't take them on. Don't try to convince them that they're doing wrong, but you do have every right to let them know, you know, no, don't. Okay. We're going to, we're going to stop this conversation because all you're doing right now is word salading me and word salading doesn't um, accomplish anything. And I'm here for a good relationship, not a chaotic one. So when you're ready to use your words, come back and talk to me. I was using, I was Mr. Breathy this afternoon, just like, just before the show, I was like huffing and puffing and my girlfriend's like, what's, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Are you upset? And I was, I was thinking, oh boy, like I'm really letting it show, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't even that upset, but I mean, I was <laughs> definitely just like Mr. Mr. Huffy Puffy. Yeah. And you know what? And, and, and the way that you can diffuse that, it, you know, on our journey, we're all flawed beings and we all make mistakes and we all have our jerk cards and whatnot. And the great thing to do is like when you when you come up against that, you're like, no, that's just Mr. Breathy. And Mr. Breathy is just kind of pouting. And I'm just I'm mad. And, you know, give me a second. And it's, you know, and, and a really good thing, especially if you are with somebody who has been traumatized by abuse is, you know, our emotions are emotions and our emotions are, are non-negotiables. We are going to feel what we need to feel. But if you're feeling something and, and you find that that person's starting to read you what's wrong and they're getting a little nervous, you need to let them know, you know what, this is not you. This is me. i got to process through this. So just, you know, keep on in your beautiful self and, and keep going. And when I'm ready, I'll, I'll talk about it. But it's not you. you got to make... When we go into these anger stages, because anger is part of grief and, and, you know, we, we got to feel what we need to feel. It's a good idea just to go on record with people around them. It's not you. It doesn't mean I'm going to abandon what I'm feeling right now, but don't take it personal. It's not you. Yeah. We, my girlfriend and I both have sort of leftover like old relationship stuff. And, uh, 
And it comes up every now and then because we kind of just let each other do our thing around the house or whatever, like whether it's in the kitchen and all that. But we're both sort of have this like uh, leftover thing with somebody's watching over your shoulder of what you're doing in the kitchen, maybe questioning how you're doing stuff. Or so it's it's interesting to watch us kind of like not quite trigger each other, but at least talk about it. Like, oh yeah, like if you know if uh, if you kind of you can see like even just questioning or helping out a little bit, you can see how how we're both stuck in uh, sometimes in, in the past, right? Dealing with, with the, the trauma that we had, you know, yeah. somebody just questioning every single thing we did. Trauma runs deep. Trauma yeah. runs deep. And as you know, I, I was speaking to somebody um, a bit ago and they, you know, ended up, you know, hold this card and they're there like, Oh my God, how did, how did all this happen? And, and I always say, well, you know, you got to this place one step at a time. It's like walking into a desert. And when you wake up and you have that epiphanic moment and you're like, oh, my God, what am I really dealing with here? They, you're in the middle of the desert. And, and you know, you're looking around going, oh, my gosh. And you're starting to see life, the reality of how things are. The veil has slipped and now you're seeing things as they are. And you just you got to make the decision. You can keep walking deeper into the desert by remaining in denial. You could do nothing and become a victim and burn in the desert, or you can turn around and start to walk back to your path in your life. And, um, and, and the person asked me, they're like, well, how long does it take to walk back to your path? And I said, it depends if you walk, walk, skip or run. I said, when, when I had my awakening, I was running as fast as I can to reclaim my life. And to shed the the trauma out of me, but you know, it, if you've been exposed to it for years and years and years and years, you got to have a little grace with yourself, and that you know you didn't get to this state of trauma overnight, and you won't get to wellness overnight. But as long as you're seeing that you're making progress every day, then you're on the right track. Yeah. Can you mention the soul question before we before we wrap it up? Oh, what, what is my soul question? Yeah, like the, your sort of download about the soul question and, and uh, I guess sort of finding your purpose. Yeah, so... Um, it, I feel like that's was, something that's missing with the with the younger generation right now is there's not yeah. a lot of... It feels like the meaning is not there, you know? There's... Kind of so stuck. I, I, I'm a pretty highly spiritually um, in-tune person and I've always been... You know, I've always done my prayer and meditation time and have my communications with my higher source. And so one day I was at my writing desk and I was, um, I was again, just complaining about life to my higher source and chewing on my rocks. And all, rah, 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 rah. and all of a sudden in my spirit, I just got this download and the download said, soul question. And I said, What's a soul question? So later that day, I went to Google and I'm like, What's a soul question? Well, even Google didn't know what a soul question was. So my prayer and meditation time, I went back and I'm like, okay, you got me. What exactly is a soul question? And, and the, the download that I got was a soul question is the question that our soul arrives at this, this life's existence with that we're supposed to spend a lifetime unfolding and unveiling to help us figure out what the purpose and plan of our life is. And I thought about it for just a, a quick second and, and, you know, reviewed my life. And I said, I know exactly 
what my soul question was. And my soul question was, what does it mean to authentically love yourself? And when I looked at the pain that I had in relationships, the pain that I had in business and not negotiating my worth, the pain that I had in taking up my space, feeling like I had to apologize for being here, the pain in, in, in um, the, the perfectionism that I lived in and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there were so many layers. But what was behind all that was that I, I didn't understand what what it meant to authentically love yourself. And it was at that time that I, I began this journey um, that led me into deep narcissistic trauma recovery. Because as I mentioned earlier, a narcissist and a wounded empath are the opposite sides of the same coin. And I was surrounded with so much narcissism in my life um, because I was aligning myself with people who have experienced the same trauma as me. And so this is why I believe that self-love is the only antidote to narcissistic abuse recovery, because when we are living on the same vibrational level as the narcissist, the same mentalities as the narcissist, but when we learn this whole journey of, of learning to love yourself and the difference between loving yourself and a narcissist is that we must learn to love thyself and narcissists are self-lovers, big difference. So when we learn to healthily love ourselves, value ourselves, honor thyself, is that our vibration raises like this. And then we can no longer just be attracted and aligned with a narcissist anymore. And that's why not just in, in my recovery program, the Reclaiming Me program, but in all of my programs and the Feminine Boss teaching people how to become successful entrepreneurs and it, with feminine energy and all of those things that all of my teachings are based in building this steely foundation of self-love under our emotional feet. Because if we only have a plank, like self-love is this, right? We're going to walk like we're on, on a tightrope. But when we have self-love looks like um, a boardwalk, whereas a boardwalk has plank after plank after plank after plank after plank, that that's what self-love is. It's a set of tools and principles and beliefs that, we set as a foundation in our life. For example, first voice, that's a sign of self-love, having a first voice. A home base, all of us need to know where our home base is. Did you know there's something called emotional homelessness? Well, you suffer from emotional homelessness when you don't know where your home base is. Reciprocity in all relationships, be it friendship, be it parental, be it lovers, be it business, there's to be reciprocity. And if we understand that, and that's like, this is the foundation of my life. I operate in a sense, a place where I can have a first, first voice. I know where I'm rooted and I'm grounded. I, I, my non-negotiable is to have reciprocity in my relationships when I have all of these stacked up. And in my, this particular program, I have 48 planks that need to go in our self-love base. That's when we become this unshakable person. And it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. That's life. Contrast happens in life. But when we have many planks underneath us, if one goes down, we're not going to fall. That's why we need many planks 
under us to build a steely foundation of self-love. Right on. Darren, you got any questions? No, I think that was, I mean, I think you did a great job of, uh, of putting that all together. I mean, that was really, uh, really well thought out. Um, I guess, what about, like, if you got trauma, do you know about that shit? Does everyone know about their trauma? Is this, like, multi-generational trauma? Is that a real thing? Because I'm like, you know, that seems kind of sketchy to me. But what's your opinion on that? And, like, you know, if people have trauma, is it is it something you, you normally remember from some point? Or is it a childhood thing? Or how does some of this stuff creep in? That's a big question. Let me try to break it down. So um, I think it's impossible to go through life without experiencing certain levels of trauma. And trauma is a loss of anything. It could be a loss of an innocence, a loss of a belief, a loss of a love. It depends on what package trauma comes in. Trauma also, uh, it depends on how long we are exposed to the trauma that will cause the depth of the wound. So if I hit you once like that, it's not going to affect you. You're not going to be traumatized by that. You may be irritated, but you're not going to be traumatized. If I did that every day for 10 years, you're going to have a debilitated arm and you're going to have bruising and you're going to have nerve damage, right? Because that's because the trauma went on longer and longer and longer. So trauma is not, um, you can't just put it in, in one bottle except the, the thing is, is that if you've experienced trauma, you will be affected by it. Is there generational trauma? Yes, there is generational trauma. And I'll tell you that like, one of the things that came to my mind when you were saying that is imagine if you were raised in, in a in a cult environment. And in this, you're not you, imagine your great grandparents were raised in this cult environment. And in this cult environment, it was it was okay to have sex with children. Right. And it just went on from generation to generation to generation. Well, what's going to happen is that let's say your your grandparents stopped the trauma, but your parents now have certain behavioral ways. And then they pass these behavioral ways into the familial environment. And you might not have the trauma of sexual molestation but you have some mentalities that that take place. There's there's this um, true story, and um, it's about baking a chicken. And there was um, this lady that she was um, went to some chef's house to learn how to bake a chicken. And so when the, the grandmother was teaching her how to bake the chicken, she's like, okay, so you take the chicken and you take off uh, the wings and you tuck it here and then you put it in the oven. And she kept looking at it and looking, and she's like, okay, but I, I have a question. Why do you take off the wings? Are they poisonous? Are they toxic? Is there something wrong with them? Blah, blah, blah. And the grandmother said, I don't know. So she went and she started talking to her sisters and come to find out they behave that way with the chicken because their great-grandmother cooked in an oven that required the, the wings to be cut off so it would fit into the oven. And so here, so many generations later, they're still carrying on the same practices that were based on the scarcity of the past, the limitations of the past. And so that's how generational trauma can continue. It might not even be relevant. It's just the lingering behaviors and mentalities that sometimes take years to 
unwind themselves. Not always conscious. Like we're not always aware even of the trauma we have, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think the only, the, the best way to do it is the purpose of life is joy. You know, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is joy that we are put here to experience joy, to find our joy and joy are the things in life that make us say, I love this. How do I know who I'm supposed to be with that person that makes you go like, Oh God, I love being with that person. How do I know where I'm supposed to live? Where you go, God, I love this place. How do you know what you're supposed to do? Oh my gosh, I love doing this. You know, if, if like I, I told somebody the other day, um, I, 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 I love the concept of herb gardening, but I could never be a hardcore gardener because I don't like to get my hands all that dirty. You know, I, I, I'm constantly washing my hands and whatnot. And thank God, because that's not my dream. That's not what makes me say, I love this. And so all of us have these unique things in our life that lead us to our joy. And the reason that, you know, I, I, when it comes to living a healthy life, I say that, you know, joy has an address and we need to find our, our joy buttons in life. And the reason being is that joy is one of the highest vibrating emotions on the emotional scale. And so when we are living in joy, we're vibrating higher and life becomes much easier because we're able to manifest. I'm not going to go into all that because it's a totally different show, but um, you know, joy has an address and the purpose of our life is to find the things that live in joy. And one thing that is, that's very important to do if you're like my trauma victim, you know, and if you have fogginess in your life, you're not clear, like, what am I here for? What am I doing? Who do I love? What do I love? Where's this train going? There's something holding you back. There's a good chance it might be trauma. If you don't have joy and clarity in a relationship, that's a trauma-based relationship. If, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that that as individuals, we belong to no one but ourselves. And that my job is to come to this existence and be the best definition of myself. My husband's job is to come here and to be the best definition of himself. And if I authentically love him and if he authentically loves me, we're going to love that best version of that person's self. And if I compromise myself for another person, which I've done many times in my life, I'm then showing a B version to the people around me. And those people don't deserve that. People deserve my A version and I deserve my A version. Wow, Tracy, this has been fantastic. Uh, before we wrap it up, we do put everything in the show notes, but, you know, a lot of these guys, they just well, don't bother to read the show notes. So we'd like you to just tell us where to get the book. And if you have a website, if you can just give us that URL here on the air so people can listen to it. Super. And, uh, let us know where people can track you down. If you have any social media that you want people to follow you on, you can mention that as well. Thank you very much. So the book is called Narctionary. It's like dictionary, only it's Narctionary, and you can get it on Amazon.com. Uh, you can follow me my website with my recovery programs. My empowerment pro programs are drtracy.tv. And uh, you can follow me on social media at Dr. Tracy Kimball or Reclaiming Me. Awesome. Thanks. This has been great. Thanks, John. Come back. Uh, you'll have to come back and let us know how it goes.
I would love it. Right on. Take care. And that was a chat with Dr. Tracy Kemmel. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, it's yeah, it's good. Yeah, I kind of like those those uh, deeper episodes. Every once in a while, you know. What'd you think? The, it was good. Yeah. yeah, you never know what to expect with some of these ones, but yeah. now it's great. Maybe definitely one of the better ones we've had on the subject. I mean, we've yeah. had some people come in that are just you know just like talking shit, but uh, I definitely didn't get that that feeling with with Dr. Tracy. Uh, big thanks to Dr. Tracy for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the one or two percent. I mean, we might have cracked the one percent for a bit there. Honestly, we were probably almost up to two percent, and then like the COVID in and the recession, and we're back down. I'd say hovering around one or a little under even. So, if you guys could head over to America.ca/support today, join the ranks of those people, and uh, become a one percenter. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. You could just do like, uh, you know, a buck a month, two bucks a month. You decide. Uh, but we can't do it without you. The show's adding some value to your life. Head over there. Send some value back our way. Uh, spam, gram, gram at America.com. Of course, we have our other podcast where we uh, talk about stuff that we can't talk about on YouTube and places like that because it's a little too controversial. Head over to GramAmericaOutlaw.ca if you want to listen to that. Uh, everything else we do is at grindmarker.ca. We have some great trips coming up this year if you want to check that out. And also some fantastic new audiobooks over at Adult Brain. You can get all the way there through grindmarker.ca. It'll get you to every place while you're done donating. You can just go right there. So, Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Many cigarettes